0: This is episode 08 of Free As Freedom for Tuesday, February 1st, 2011. I'm Karen Sandler
1: and I'm Bradley Kuhn.
0: This is Free As In Freedom.
1: Whoa I just moved the table and it was like one of those things where you know when you're sitting in a non-moving car and the car next to you moves and you think the car you're in is moving? Yes. That just happened to me.
0: It happens more on trains for me like when there's a train going the opposite direction in particular.
1: Yeah, well, I was well, trying. I guess to move if I'm it. not moving, but I was trying to move. So, because this mic thing with the people complaining about my volume changing. Well, and somebody
0: stuff. wrote in and said that the last episode was better. Well, that, and, and that's why I'm obsessed
1: it. with it now. Because I got to live up to this new standard that's been created of my consistent volume without a compressor thing.
0: Well, I'm glad.
1: Okay. Well, is your volume
0: consistent? I think my volume is generally consistent because I don't make a big deal of it, and I position myself when we start and don't move.
1: It's two minutes into the show. Do you know what your volume's at? actually it's probably not even two minutes yeah probably not so uh we um we actually had somebody write in and we almost covered this topic we were
0: set to record to record the show I,
1: i was about to hit record command
0: and we realized that not only had we discussed the topic before but we had dedicated an entire show to it and not only that but it was also episode 08
1: yeah so in the old show We covered the issue of uh, selecting a free software license and the differences between a copyleft license and a non-copyleft and a weak copyleft and why you'd pick one or the other. And And
0: license proliferation. All that kind of stuff. So
1: we'll link back to that old show in the show notes. And uh, the folks that we're asking were sort of actually two inquiries from two different people about that kind of thing, about more basic information about free software licensing, how it interacts with copyright how you pick which license to use. Uh, So those folks who were asking about that, go listen to that old show from uh, the software freedom law show we used to do. And if that doesn't answer your questions, write new questions that we failed to answer in the old episode 08.
0: And we'd be happy to answer them now.
1: That is, well, Well, not now. Later. Not now.
0: (gasps) If not now, then when?
1: When I was growing up in Baltimore, there were two DJs. Because uh, remember they used to have the morning... Radio DJs? Yeah, radio DJs. You remember how you used to... Before, the, the morning zoo was a thing that was controlled by Viacom and exactly the same in every town. You know, when they created the for, the, the morning zoo. Co- I never... So, I,
0: I, I've never had a car.
1: Okay, so top 40 radio stations had this thing around the country. And they would have... And it started in the 80s. There was this thing where they would have, uh, they would have two uh, disc jockeys who were... Uh, really crass comedy, lowbrow stuff every morning on the top forty. And it was actually an in-, in the eighties. It was an interesting thing to examine the different places across the U.S. because they were different and they had local color. Like the one in Baltimore was very Baltimore. It was a lot of inside Baltimore jokes. They did all, they did like comedy songs like like poor man's Weird Al Yankovic type stuff. Mm-hmm. And like they did one about one of the Savings and Loan guys in Baltimore because um, uh, I want a loan just like the loan Gary Huddle got, which Gary Huddle was oh. the guy in Baltimore who was the big SNL. Like, he, only people in Baltimore, because every town had their own big SNL guy who stole everybody's money, but he was the Baltimore one. So they were all, like, th- th- it was very regional. And they used to do this thing about not now. That's why I started on this. They would always be like, because they, they hated it when people called in, when they said, and later we're going to have a call in and you can win. And they would get really angry when the phone started ringing and they would do this thing like, not now, not now. Do not call now. If you call now, you can't win. You have to call later. When we say to call, that's when you call, not now. And so when you said not now, and we're DJs, uh, sort of. Or yeah, I wonder. Radio. I mean, it's,
0: it, it, we kind of lost not a lot when just... we, we lost our local... Well, that's Viacom. That
1: the Viacom bought up all these radio stations. Now they run these radio stations out of some like facility in one place. But on
0: the other hand, we have so many uh, podcasts that are regional.
1: That certainly is true. I and mean, we're regional in a in a not cutting by area, geographic area, but cutting by
0: boy, that's a region. <laughs>
1: well, not re- you're right. We're not regional, <laughs> but we're. But what I was trying to say was we the, are a specialty show. Yes, the, the, <laughs> we are boutique.
0: <laughs> boutique. <laughs> I wish I could buy a dress here. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I've learned that from the law firm people, you people with your boutique, oh, boutique law, law firms. firms. Yeah, and that's what made me think of it.
0: There's a, um, there's a, a music company that is has the word boutique in, the, in their name, but the person who runs it says boutique. <laughs> that's how I say it because I'm from Baltimore. Oh, is that a Baltimore thing?
1: Uh, it, uh, boutique? How, I just basically said it that way a I guess ago. that's what
0: reminded me of it.
1: Actually, in Baltimore, you'd say boutique. Give me the end of boutique horn, for example. He doesn't sound
0: like that. Yeah, because
1: not heavy <laughs> Baltimore. That's more Essex anyway. It's a specific area of Baltimore.
0: It's boutique audio.
1: Boutique audio.
0: Um, and, and they're quite good, I understand.
1: Should I do the whole the whole <laughs> show like I'm from Balmer
0: Uh, Sure, that's entirely up to you. I don't think I don't I think, nice think no.
1: <laughs> and I've spent a lifetime trying to get rid of my Baltimore accent.
0: So now that we've 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 already covered all the basics,
1: I suppose that's true. Ooh, we had an overrun, which means there's a little jump in the audio you just heard. And Dan's going to complain about producer. Dan's going to be like, "What's the deal with your super slow laptop? Having all this problem? Well, I have to turn the network device off. I think I have this theory that the network device is the reason that we get those sort of buffer overruns because there's crap coming across your network." <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so maybe that'll make the audio better. Uh, and so, what we were actually going to talk about now, I forgot. <laughs>
0: uh, oh, we were asked also um, in an email. an older question, yeah. To address um, the Creative Commons non-commercial licenses. Yeah,
1: and the, the question was more, and I actually want to talk generally about this whole issue of commercialness and licenses.
0: Well, we can also talk about. I mean, that's sort of a subset of what makes a free license. What's a free license, and what's a non-free license?
1: Right. Well, the the, the so so this is and and Richard Fontana, whom I know is listening, was very obsessed with this issue at one point of historically how free software licenses got to be commercial, non-commercial being equal. And he found a bunch of stuff where early in the uh, 80s, there was actually confusion in the free software community about commercial versus non-commercial and whether you should treat commercial users and redistributors the same as non-commercial ones.
0: I think there's still a good bit of confusion, or at least a misunderstanding, not necessarily confusion as to what the right kind of license it is to use, but more confusion in interpretation.
1: Right, And, and as a community... Those of us who are the old guard who've seen the arguments go by through the 90s have come to this conclusion that it's completely necessary in the software space for commercial and non-commercial users mm-hmm. more or less to be treated completely equally. Uh, there's actually some nuance points on that. The, the non-commercial users can get away with slightly more with regard to GPL compliance, but that's sort of a side point. Generally speaking, commercial and non-commercial users in free software licenses are treated exactly the same. And, and redistributors and modifiers, and all the mm-hmm. thing, all the things you can do, well, uh, you're treated the same.
0: Because they're because it's a it's a free software license because it's a free and open source software license. So it's it's not it's a free license as opposed to a non free software license.
1: Well, and but that's that's sort of my point is that that's how it became part of the definition. Like it, like there was a time when people, particularly Richard Stallman, was tr- was trying to decide what. A free software license had had to have, and the OSI did the same thing with it regarding mm-hmm. open source license. Sure. And the decision had to be made that there was this really important issue that commercial users and non commercial users should be treated equally. Uh, that was a conclusion that got got to people got to, and by the early nineties, everybody basically agreed on that already.
0: Right. Uh, and now, I guess, what I'm saying is that now it's an important part of what it means to have a free license, and and now yeah. that's also from the free culture standpoint. Um, so a non commercial License cannot be a free culture license.
1: Yeah, that's an interesting outcome. Uh, because when the whole idea of licensing non-software works under free licenses came up, there, there was actually a lot of disagreement. Uh, And Richard Stone was actually one of the first speakers on this because he started trying to apply some of the ideas of free software and some of the thinking to that stuff. And he actually had come to the conclusion that maybe it wasn't true in areas other than software.
0: Well, I think what he was coming to the conclusion was not not as to what would be true or not about whether a license was free or not. But he was coming to a conclusion more about, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I don't know, I've never mm. talked to him about this, but a conclusion more about what is what is a suitable license.
1: Yeah. And so, and so Richard, about uh, 13 years ago now, started giving this talk that he calls uh, Copyright and Community in the Age of Computer Networks. And there's recordings of this online, which I'll link to uh, in the show notes and he actually goes through quite a lot. I and mean, I actually find i I'll try to find as old a recording of that as I can find, because he, he goes through all these different types of work and, and starts to say, well, maybe non-commercial restrictions are reasonable in this type of work, like, like a work of music mm-hmm. or movie or books. Uh, and a lot of free culture people are actually, and you talk about Nina Paley having this attitude, I have this very staunch belief that, that those kinds of non-commercial restrictions are unacceptable.
0: Well, it's, it's certainly non-free. Yeah, well, that's an interesting question. So if you're a free culture person, you care about free culture, and a non-free license is substandard.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and, and that's true in the free software space. Now,
0: if you're looking to build a commons, that's maybe a different view. Hmm.
1: See, because when I look at it, I sort of see this same argument having played out, right? It's just like 20 years delayed because people in the software world had this argument and everybody in this free software world has come to the conclusion you have to have equal rights for commercial and non-commercial mm-hmm. use. And I don't know if that consensus has been reached in the free culture movement or has it? You know better than Well, I, I just do.
0: think that the free culture movement is actually, its I mean, in my view, I think it's still being defined. I mean, it's still forming it's itself and you know, I think Creative Commons has been a major force in the free culture movement, but Creative Commons is advocating for for creating a commons and um, and they have been promoting a non-commercial license as a foot in the door so of a way to get so for example, um, you know I look at uh, magazines that, oh, are sent to audio engineers, you know, recording engineers. And in them, I see interviews with Creative Commons lawyers where they say, you know, the right license for you is, or I mean, the summary of the article is, consider using a non-commercial license because it gets you, you know, it gets you some of the benefits of free, you know, of, of what free culture has to offer while you still are able to reserve the option of of, of going, you know, the, the traditional route. And it's sort of this, this hybrid approach that they're, you know, that they're, they're promoting in a way just to, to increase the commons, you know, and to increase the amount of work that is available. Um, but it's, it's not, that's not a free culture license. And that's not a free culture approach.
1: So that that's an interesting question to me that, that. Is Creative Commons the the whole license suite that they publish? Because I, I think for most people, Creative Commons, while they do other work, they're primarily known just for publishing uh-huh. the license suite. Uh, is that whole that whole license suite? I guess you're saying, from your point of view as a free culture activist, uh, is not they're not all free culture licenses.
0: No, and in fact, um, for I guess the last year and a half, or maybe longer, I'm not sure. The free licenses have been labeled as free culture approved.
1: That's interesting. So, who mm-hmm. who is the authority that approves that?
0: I mean, I it, they the I need to check, mm-hmm. but I think that the free culture approved stamp links back to freedomdefined.org. Yeah, yeah okay, yeah. So and freedomdefined uses the software ideology and applies it to um, to culture.
1: Right. It, it's it's strange to me, especially given that. Um, I, I'm pretty sure that RMS still has the positions that non-commercial licenses for non-software works are acceptable in some cases, uh, that that they're taking his rather strict, and I'd agree that it's strict, interpretation of the way free software has to be defined and applying it to free culture when he, in fact, doesn't agree that his strict conclusions about software ought to be applied.
0: Well, I have to say, it's, uh, it's it, it has been in the past pretty fun to watch arguments um, <laughs> between uh, Richard and... Um, Nina, and free culture people mm-hmm. um, and especially early on you know I think he was a little surprised to find such you know strong beliefs about free culture um, such that you know he was accused of being of, of not going far enough and, and being mm-hmm. too conservative but um, I don't know where he is on his thinking now I think
1: well I, I, I last saw copyright versus community so I should point out that RMS reuses speeches a lot so he's still giving copyright versus community in the age of computer networks I mean he changes it from place to place, but it's pretty much still the same stump speech, more or less. I first saw it at MIT in in 2001. And I saw it, I guess, in 2009 or something. And I, I'll try to dig up. I think I dented this. It was right after Identica started when, when it, or it was late 2008. He spoke at uh, Cardozo Law School here in New York City. And I saw him give that speech. And at the MIT speech, I saw a bunch of people saying, how could you possibly propose the idea that any any permission should be given to works and then the movie industry should just decide everything and uh-huh. so forth. and these were MIT students who are generally very intelligent people yeah. basically all arguing with him that he could even proposed this that was completely insane uh-huh. proposed this and of course seeing this uh, there was this large little segment of free culture people in the corner of this talk and of course I'm watching the audience tell him he's not going far enough and the idea that he would even consider that That's non-commercial licensing <laughs> could possibly be acceptable for any type of work yeah uh, it, it was just to see the, the six or seven year difference between between the, that kind of audience that that audience could even exist was a surprise to me
0: yeah uh,
1: because it certainly could not have existed in 2001
0: well it really hits a nerve because the non-commercial licenses are first you know I think, I think a lot of people who choose non-commercial licenses are are a little misguided about it. Like I think one of the advantages of what we have in software licensing is that the GPL was so popular that people just sort of you know, and it was so widely used that when people wanted to release their software freely, they would say, "Oh, okay, my choices are you know, I know that the GPL is around and it works and it's great and, you know, or I know that, you know, a BSD style license is, you know, so so there were the choices that were there already existed and and, and were the popular ones. But when you looking at it from a, a free culture perspective and you want to choose a license, well, you go to Creative Commons and Creative Commons has the suite of licenses and non-commercial is an important component of their suite of licenses and it's very unclear what... You know, what that, implica- you know, what the implications are for your particular work. And and so not only is there, I think, a lot of misunderstanding about what, you know, how non-commercial works with and what you're trying to accomplish when you license a work and, and what, you know, what the realities are of publishing a work now, um, but on top of that, I think there's also a lot of confusion about what the license, what a non-commercial term actually means. And, actually- well, and
1: people are still confused about that, about the GPL, even though we've been saying for decades, uh, or a decade, and two decades, I guess, GPL is both commercial and non-commercial and they're treated equally. Mm-hmm. Um, people really don't understand that uh, in some sense. I, I guess, I mean, basically I basically want to get to that and it's not strictly commercial Um, it's also Mm non-commercial, uh, yet some people say, still say things like the, well, I'm going to use the GPL, not some commercial license and they won't get that. That
0: happens all the time. And, you know, it's been really interesting. You know, I think our listeners know that I talk to the IRS sometimes on behalf of free software projects and trying to explain this to an outsider is tough. Um, and, and the commercial non-commercial topic comes up quite often because the, the, agents often go jump right to a, oh, okay, I understand this is a non-commercial license. And it's like, well, you know, not really, you know, you're you're missing the point. Um, but what's really great about all of this is that, you know, with the, um, the recent sort of um, line of court cases and briefs, um, you know, you, you kind of see a, a balanced discussion of the public benefit of free software um, without focusing on the fact that it's, you know whether the distinction between commercial and non-commercial, but the, if, and focusing if, on and actually mentioning the fact that there is, you know, the fact that it's commercially applicable is a benefit to society.
1: But the point I was trying to get to is that if it's still confusing software after years of trying to explain it and the free software licenses are all designed to be equal for commercial and non-commercial. With the Creative Commons group out there, there must just be widespread confusion, because I think most people who are inspired by the GPL but don't really know much about it assume it's sort of a non-commercial thing, and they're likely to pick CC, BY and C.
0: Well, that's interesting, because I think in this way, Creative Commons actually provides clarity with their suite of licenses, because there is a choice between... If you, you can choose non-commercial or you cannot choose non-commercial. So you actually have to think about this and make a choice. I just think what I'm do. saying about confusion is that I think some people choose non-commercial licenses when they would be better served to choose, um, you know, to not have the non-commercial restriction.
1: Right, because I want, and this reminds me actually of, of why Linus Torvald switched to GPL, right? Because I wonder how much, I, I'd be curious to, to, to poll our, our listeners to know what percentage uh, knows that Linux was first released not under GPL, but under a non free license. Mm-hmm. And Linus wrote this sort of simple license do whatever you want, but uh, nothing commercial. And eventually he gave up on that because of one reason, which was user group people. Wanted to know if they could recover their cost for CDs because uh, CDs used to be a lot more expensive. Mm-hmm. And if you burned fifty CDs for your users group, you might be out three hundred bucks. And you're like, "Well, can I at least charge enough so I can recover the cost of burning the CDs? Just the physical media." And then cost. the question:
0: Well, I don't know how that original license was written, but whether that would be commercial or not might be a test. And actually, what's interesting going back to the Creative Commons standpoint is that um, is that there's a lot of um, Confusion or um, a range of interpretation around what actually is commercial use and what is non-commercial use and what you the example you're giving about um, burning CDs for a um, for a user group is a perfect example of, well, if I didn't make a profit, you know, and it's for a nonprofit user group, potentially, you know, maybe that's not a commercial use at all. Um, oh, so, so do you know?
1: Do you, I, mean, I mean, it probably is hard to figure out. You probably have to analyze the license really carefully to figure well, out. Well, the
0: wording, I think, you if you maybe we should pull up the the wording of the license. But it it you know it it it's interesting because I think different people sometimes interpret it a little bit differently. And Creative Commons, because of this, um, oh, your network is turned off. You're yeah, a, it is. Challenge have... to pulling up the license. Yeah. But um, but you know, I, I I I do remember that they published a a um, an extensive study about what you know what. I think what people think, you know, what people think, um, commercial and non-commercial, um, use means. And, and that gets tricky in the context of like, say a nonprofit that's conducting profit, you know, activities that so, will derive, that they could derive profit from, you know, is that commercial or non-commercial? Yeah.
1: So we were looking at the study before and, and I, and I was wondering, did, did they do, do you know why they did? We may not know why they did this study. Did they do it because they wanted to match? They probably just wanted to find out, but, was their ultimate goal maybe to try and match the non-commercial license to what people generally thought?
0: Yeah, I don't. I think that I mean I. I don't. We can ask people from Creative Commons yeah. if they know what you know what what the motivation was. But this is one of the one. This has been a hotly discussed topic because of all of the you know because there is clear confusion about what um, what commercial and non-commercial means. And I seem to recall that there were specific instances um, that arose uh, with Creative Commons that caused them to delve into this more deeply. And I I know that. Um, that the, or at least I, I think that the study talks about, you know, using those findings as as guidance for drafting future versions of the license. Yeah, I mean, I, here you, could, you should just search because there's, you know, actually I bring this up when I teach the um, free culture a free culture class, and we examine this provision and we talk about what we think it means, and it's really interesting. Um, you know, I ask students what they, you know, what, what kinds of uses they think would be commercial and non-commercial. And they think it's very clear. And then when we examine, you know, we, we think about it and consider certain kinds of edge case scenarios, they're really not sure.
1: Yeah, well, they, they, I, I don't really like how they laundry list things like this. Um, so, so I don't they, know, what, you know what you're looking at. This actually. laundry list of musical composition in, in section, I guess that's uh, what, 4D, um, about commercial stuff so mm-hmm. they list this thing of it, it, um, if the performance is primarily f- intended for directed toward commercial advantage or private monetary compensation, it, it just seems like it's a lot of work.
0: Oh, see, I actually yeah. like the, the, it's
1: clarified. I uh, guess, yeah. Because but, it's,
0: because otherwise it would be unclear in this way. There's a decision that's made within the license. And I think that's really important.
1: Yeah. I mean, basically it seems like the, the, the sort of, uh, key section is, which four, license are Non-commercial, um, by C Okay. Um, you may not exercise the rights granted to you in any manner that's primarily intended for, or directed yeah. toward commercial advantage or private mon- monetary compensation. I, I, I mean, primarily is tough to, tough to quantify there. Yeah. I, I, and and, and I mean, considered
0: I, to be intended for or directed towards. It's, you know, I mean, I understand. Like, I think there's good reason why it needs to be drafted somewhat vaguely. Um, but at the same time, you know, there are obvious challenges that are connected to it.
1: Well, and, and so uh, the original question that inspired this episode was about well, where where does the borders, how do you know when it's non-commercial and when it's violating the license? And when I saw that question, I thought, well, this comes down to, to the kinds of things I deal with in GPL enforcement. And I actually think that it sort of convinces me it's kind of pointless to try to use a non-commercial license, and here's why. Because the amount of effort that I expend trying to get people to comply with the gpl which has commercial permissions as it is right just to get them to do the things that they're required to do when they commercially distribute the idea of going around and trying to stop people who are who are doing that and then trying to argue this oh, primarily see, i don't think so them.
0: at all because i think that what it's tra- what the and the reason why the way that it's drafted is successful is because that certain instances which are the ones that the um, that the authors or creators will want to stop are so clear. So, for example, if, you know, if a publishing company uses a photograph that was published under a non-commercial license in an ad, that's clearly, you know, an ad for a product, that's clearly a commercial use. And that would be the kind of thing that someone who licensed their photo under a non-commercial and license would And when they say, want-
1: fine, sue me, what happens, right?
0: Well, it's for the, it's in clear violation of the license, and it. I mean, it, when you whenever you license <laughs> whenever you license a work under copyright, you're basically uh, yeah. You, I get that by that, that, um, by that yeah. rationale, the GPL is useless, and I think you would agree with me that that's not the case. You, so, by your rationale, any copyright licensing, you know, is 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 pointless because you have to have a, an army of lawyers, and I just can't believe that. No, that I that's
1: don't believe that, but my my point really is that the the GPL is very carefully drafted to only go for the things that really, really matter. The the right to source code, the right to modify, these things that matter, matter deeply to the future of free software. So when I look at this free culture thing, I'm like, well... Well, this isn't
0: a free culture thing. Okay, that's a good point. Goodbye. Right. This is a, a licensing choice mm-hmm. to increase to increase the comments or you know, to increase right. the the body of work that we have available to the public and um, and available for clearly non-commercial uses. Mm-hmm. So th- this concept is deeply important to a lot of people, mm-hmm. and you know, it's 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 highly analogous to a company that you know that uses GPL code in their product and doesn't release you know, doesn't doesn't make the source code available, doesn't, you know, doesn't obey the license at all. It's, it's, it's 100% analogous. And in fact, the result is probably analogous where often you would have a public, you know, a public shaming of, this is my, you know, this is, this is my photograph. You just used it in your ad with no permission. You know, you've got to mm-hmm. scramble to correct that situation if you're a company. So, you know, it... it- well, I guess, I,
1: actually, now that I'm thinking about it again, the non-commercial actually is easier to enforce because all you're ever asking for is money. I guess I just realized that. So in the end, if you're enforcing NC, all you have to tell them is you used which which, which, well, which the company's lawyer will understand, right? Because you, you could sell them another because the reason you used NC most of the time is because you want somebody to pay you every time they use a commercial. Maybe.
0: It may also be that you don't want your work to be selling a particular product. You may oh, want so you actually might want the... the injunction. Yep. You like see, what if you don't, you know, what if you don't want your photo to be used to endorse a particular brand of sneakers because you don't agree with their, you know, their labor practices. Which many people do feel that. I mean, I personally think that um, that using the non-commercial license doesn't really make a lot of sense and isn't the way to go. But for someone who does want to use that license, that's an important component of it. Right.
1: But th- but see the same problem. Uh, so 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 actually the problem where it becomes just like GPL enforcement is when people pick SA, right? So when they choose CC by SA, they've got a copy left to enforce,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and. I can imagine. Let's take the ad scenario. Okay, so you said this ad scenario CC by NC. Basically, the paths come two ways, right? Either they want injunction, i.e., they want the company to stop uh, because they don't agree with the company, as you said, or they want money. Mm -hmm. Money is easy to get. Getting them to stop, it's probably actually tough, but it probably doesn't matter, right? Because they probably would stop, but you're not going to get any remedy for the past use. More or and may, maybe you, well, you the you know, I mean, have to end up taking money for that because it might be because um, you- there's also
0: I mean it's very it's like a you know in some ways it's 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 easier to because there's a the, we have a kind of a cultural gut connection to mm-hmm. art and artists and media yeah. in a way that we don't necessarily that the public doesn't necessarily have to software
1: yeah when it's e- also easier to pull an ad than it is to pull software I mean right yeah. you can pull an ad with three phone calls as far as future publications of that ad yeah you, you call the, not- you call the networks that are playing it if it's a TV ad you call the magazines yeah. right and on then the other done. hand
0: you might be you might have incorporated the art into some larger work or a larger project
1: or yeah, or a package
0: maybe. of things that might be you know a video game or I don't know what yeah. but something that might be hard to extract.
1: Yeah, I, I suppose so, that's I, I think true. But that's I, I again think a again, lot sort of it
0: of is is, like, is somewhat analogous. And to say that you know, I, I don't know, to say that it's futile to to use these licenses is to oh no, I really saying that. I wasn't really say saying that. I was just saying that. I was just saying.
1: I was just saying that people. Actually, the point I was actually trying to make was people who think that they can use this license and it's going to make enforcement easy. Uh, have another thing coming because we've been looking at GPL enforcement for years and it's really, really difficult. And I think that it, without constant vigilance, you're actually not going to be able to use CC by NC and actually get people to comply without constant vigilance. And I think a lot of people think that somehow they get something magic. Well,
0: I don't know about that. I mean, in some ways, it's actually different than software because oftentimes the work is the work itself. So um, you don't have like, you know, an executable and source code. You have um, you know, music that you can play. So, so, and, that, what, and
1: that's my point is that is the people using NC are pr- most people using NC are probably willing to sell another license because if they actually have these kind of free culturally beliefs and they actually want to f- do something about the issue of of uh, of of companies they don't like, they probably would have picked by SA anyway. They probably would have picked NC. When you talk about the
0: futility of enforcement, you know, it's exactly the same as if somebody had. Published a work or made it limited available in a limited way under um, all rights, you know, under no, you know, under all rights reserved with no permissions. Someone else can just take that and use that as well, and it's exactly the same situation. Yeah,
1: and I don't think I said enforcement enforcement is futile because I don't think I said that.
0: Well, you said using these licenses is if people think they're going to be able to use these licenses and rely on the non-commercial provision, they have another thing coming. But that rationale is exactly the same well, as saying if people think they can release their work under, uh, you know, publish their work in a limited way under an all rights reserved, that you know that they haven't, you know, that there's no reason why anyone will will you know will respect those licenses either or the lack of license.
1: Yeah, later. I mean, they'll they'll uh, the, without constant vigilance, it's going to get used everywhere. I but mean, the,
0: but the truth is that when it comes down to it, it's. You know, we're talking about, you know, what 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 are the situations in which, you know, these things will come into play.
1: Yeah. And so I think I, I, it's, and that, that's sort of where I was getting to with this NC thing, because I think most people, well, maybe the study shows something different. But my thought was that most people who pick NC are picking it because they, they just want somebody to pay them if they use it commercially. They just want to get paid.
0: I think that's true for a lot of people, but I don't think it's true for everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I think I think NC is actually a dipping your toe in the water. I think when people use non-commercial it's because they really they aren't sure about this whole free culture thing. They know that if they don't make their work available for people to see and and use and or or you know interact with in whatever way that the work is, that that they won't get the exposure they need and they understand that sharing their work there's real benefit to sharing their work.
1: And if it is toe dipping, then they're never going to do enforcement anyway. Right, they're never going to enforce the NC clause if what they're actually doing is on their way to SA. Right, they're on their way to SA. They stopped at NC. They they spent a couple of years releasing their works under NC, but they really were somebody who believed in free culture in the end. So they're going to buy the three years from now. They're going to be doing SA anyway, and they're never going to actually enforce the non-commercial clause.
0: Well, I don't. I actually don't know that that's true because I think that I I don't think that that's true necessarily because I think some people choose the free culture licenses is advertising for, um, for restrictive licensed works. So sort of for commissioned works or, um, you know, custom works. And they use it for exposure. So, um, you know, where they, they maybe would release under a, um, a truly free license when they're getting there, you know, when they're just testing the waters, they use a non-commercial. And that if someone were to use that work in a clearly commercial way, they would most likely enforce
1: yeah i mean again i think if it was a if it was a big one with lots of where there was lots of money involved and they really knew about it i think small ones they probably wouldn't bother they probably wouldn't police it
0: yeah i don't i don't know i mean you know we see all we see people all across the free software world interested in enforcing their license when it's violated whether you know for a lot of different, yeah. I perspectives. mean, a
1: lot of there are not many people doing free software licensing artists enforcement, often unfortunately.
0: feel. <laughs> our artists often feel a moral connection to their work, which is yeah. I think where I think programmers the whole moral too rights, as well. Yeah,
1: but uh, yeah, I, I think that I. I'm, I'm just wondering because the number of of programmers who have time and inclination to do enforcement, there's just not that many. I mean, you look at how many people doing GPL enforcement in the world, and and there's less than ten on a regular basis. Um, So I would guess that that's probably true in the Creative Commons world. There's less than 10 people bothering to actually do enforcement.
0: I don't know about that. I mean, I think that in some ways the the licensing of these works is somewhat new. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we haven't, I think we we haven't really seen the maturation of Mm -hmm. the use of these works and the enforcement that might come along with it for violations.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: I haven't talked to anyone at Creative Commons about this stuff, so it might be interesting to to ask them yeah i mean and, and i had ha- mike links fair on once but it was a while
1: ago. yeah i know <laughs> it's true um yeah and i've I, I mean i've had my cc license violated and a few times and it's mainly been reminders messages that i've had to send so i i mean the, the classic example i get is 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 somebody doing a translation of one of my blog posts i get that a lot and then they write back to me and they didn't comply and i have to go back and forth with them for a while um uh, and they're good intention violators, right? I mean, they're just doing a translation of my blog post, but they forget to put the notice in and that sort of thing. And I have a couple that I haven't even followed up on, uh, people who had translations. And a lot of times their English is not great, uh, right, because they're doing translations, so they're they're better in the other language than they're in English, and getting them to actually comply with SA is a lot of work.
0: Well, but it's actually what's interesting is that a violation in this instance is, is I guess I was saying before, is it's different than a software violation where you might not make the source code available. At all here there's no underlying source for the work. So there's the, the text and that's available. So what you often have in that instance is an error of notification, which is important mm, and should mm. be corrected, but it's it's a little bit different than, you know, a a a violation in the software world where there's no source code.
1: Yeah, that's probably true. I mean, I mean that's and you know as as uh, uh, Fontana was the first person to ever say to me that that being able to distribute software in binary form is sort of a rudimentary form of DRM and it's true that if you license if you release your stuff under any CC license there's basically no DRM even if it's CC by nc so Well
0: actually it depends on the oh, on the I, art I guess, form I it, guess you it, because could because there are some some could, some, could you
1: build a DRM system? Well that, hang on, some, I'm sorry, I, I'm off on the, awful. the truth I, is I'm that, s- But hang on, there, there is, is
0: an analogue to um to binaries for certain areas of art. So for certain kinds of film and, you know, there is there is a you know there is something from which you build the final product. There is like source information. So you're talking things
1: like low bitrate files and that sort of thing? Is that was that where your mind's going? Or no, is it uh, it's else?
0: not but yes but that that's part of it but also like you know a work that's created through you know like um you know animation software or something like that yeah although Where c- you make the final work available. yeah
1: i mean the cc licenses don't actually deal with this in, in no there's this a, level there's a lot of
0: tor- there's a lot of like yeah, discussion on that. freedom to find about it
1: yeah i mean i th- i think that i think what really is happening is that So there's been basically 15 to 18 years of thought in what it means to comply with a copyleft in the software space. And there's all this thinking and all this past enforcement, and we don't have any of that yet, really. I mean, occasionally Larry Lessig blogs about somebody violating a CC license, and everybody sends a bunch of nastygrams to the place, and it gets resolved in some sort of way. But there's not really widespread adoption of derivatives of CC BY-SA works. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's just I, fact. mean I,
0: I think I think that's I think that's changing, and I think actually the there's much wider usage of um, of attribution only.
1: Well it's the see attribution by. only is so easy to comply with. Yes, though. well that's I mean, why. Yeah I and mean that's why
0: there's such wide adoption.
1: Yeah, but see And as
0: people are keep publishing works in, in um arenas where you can easily search for only certain license you know, certain certain licenses on works. When you search for the works to begin with, it makes it a lot easier.
1: So I mean I guess my point is about this whole constant vigilist thing constant vigilance thing about enforcement is that I think we're not gonna get tons of enforcement. Um until there's lots of works out there under it that people want to make modifications of and and I think that it's harder to get to that with things uh other than software right i mean I mean what's the classic music uh thing music use is sampling? I think you can make a, a case for uh, certain types of fair use there anyway yep. and 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 so and so it's really difficult, i think. To to I, I I'm probably saying things that are going to anger free culture people worldwide, but I think it's really difficult to make real reuse of artistic works uh, in in a in a useful way for the next level.
0: Wow, I think that's wrong.
1: See, I I think that it's it's just not I mean, as, think, it's just not I think Ceda
0: sings the blues is the perfect example of that. There was a I mean like the the uses of cedar sings the blues have been fascinating. There have been quite a number of reuses. Um, and and it's been great. There was a, a a line of of a fashion line of clothing created from um, from CETA. There were uh, I mean there was a, a a piece of fine art that was created by using uh, frames from the movie. There have been all different kinds of things that have been done, you know, from that from and that's just one work. I there's a lot of things that can be done.
1: Well, no, I, I I think it's. More, I I don't think it's impossible. I don't didn't say it was impossible. It's just not the same as with software. Software is so reusable when it's written well, and you can have a great piece of film or music, and it doesn't make it reusable, right? The better software is, the more reusable it is. That's generally true, and that's just not true with art. Art sort of has a reuse quality. Uh, the the a, a derivative. I don't think quality that's true.
0: Like take a photograph that resonates with people. You can use it on so many things, or in, and in so many ways. I mean, if you're talking about something that's really good, I mean, something that's really good, people want to use in a, a whole host of ways. They want to see it all the time in different places.
1: Uh, so, they so want I mean, I think,
0: it. So, so, so the to, first
1: thing that my mind goes to is is the only guy obsession with shot for shot remakes of things, which falls completely under parody exception, right? So they they already already because be they're actually
0: parodying the work, but that's not. I mean, yeah. you know, I mean that's not the only thing that we're talking about here.
1: Yeah, but but the thing is, is the places where I think that gets reu- the, the reuse happens, it's it's often, it's often already permitted, right?
0: Well, I don't I don't actually think that that's true. It's it's under fair use. It's when that. I mean, I want to argue for a broad interpretation of the fair use safe harbor. So mm. I just want to say that I don't yeah. want anyone to misinterpret. But I think that there have been cases that have shown that if if the use, for example, if you're relying on parody, if it's not actually parodying the work itself. But merely using, for example, in a song, which is what the case is, but um you know, using the the tune of the song and changing the lyrics to something else, if it's not actually parody and and even though those words might be a parody of something else, if it's not parodying the song, you don't get fair use protection there i mean i I think that the the reason why the family guy works is that it in so often so much of the time is they're actually parodying the work itself because that's sort of the whole thing
1: that's true but i extent.
0: i I think that. I think because your focus is software and not um, art and music and and other areas of culture, you're not as, I don't I don't want to insult you, Bradley, but you're not, you're not, you're not as focused on, on these areas of reuse.
1: I suppose that's true. I just don't see it that often, I guess, in, in most types of, of works, right? I, I, I guess I just don't. Well,
0: this is part of the reason why it's so easy to argue that, um, that, that in the free culture world that you want to you want to license your work as freely as possible you want to use you want to, to have as much
1: here's another thing because you,
0: because usually it's if if you it's going to be used commercially chances are whatever company is using it will want it to be customized in some way mm-hmm. and then it's a new work and, not and, a derivative work they'll want the artist who... And I guess it to, there's
1: not as many crackdowns in the t- so there's crackdowns on on literal copying right so you see things like the MPAA Cracking down on literal copying, yep. but when people actually want to make derivatives, like the whole fan fiction world, right? The, the crackdowns in the fan fiction world exist, but yep. they're they're minimal compared to. Um, Compared to what it could be, right? Because because Paramount could come against Star Trek fan fiction and just destroy it, right? If they really wanted to, but they 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 look the other way. Well, they're also
0: would be shooting themselves in the foot because fan fiction. I mean, the fan fiction supports the overall. And you look at
1: somebody like J.K. Rowling, who's who's actually gotten Uh, really heavy um, criticism for being such a copyright monger. Uh But on the other side, there's tons of Harry Potter fan fiction out there that's that's let go, right? That's just out there, and people. Well,
0: I think what Bradley's referring to. Who is the Lexicon? And that was well.
1: No, Lexicon. I wasn't referring to. Actually, I was specifically not referring to Lexicon. Lexicon Lexicon. Lexicon was very different in the sense that. Well,
0: what I'm I'm drawing a distinction between the Lexicon and the other fan fiction that you're saying is not pursued.
1: Right. Yeah. 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 And 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 Lexicon was and the Lexicon was permitted to that. The funny part about the Lexicon. This is way off topic, but the funniest part about the Lexicon is that it was it was tacitly permitted. J.K. Rowling even was quoted saying she used it. Um, in preparing the final books to, to as a resource and it was encouraged and the people who ran Lexicon got leaks from her and she gave them mm-hmm. leaks and all this stuff and it wasn't until basically they basically she was giving a CC by NC, uh, by NC license de facto because mm-hmm. it is when this was only
0: when he when, when he went for, for well he went yeah.
1: he basically he basically was in discussions with her publisher and another publisher another publisher offered real money um, like bigger money faster, and he wanted fast money. And the guy basically got a huge ego problem. This guy, um, this guy is like, was, was a, this huge famous person in the fandom community, and his ego got too big. And he thought he could just get away with whatever he wanted to do. He uh, didn't buy. I heard to check other it, accounts
0: you know? of it, but okay.
1: I, I'm, I'm sure my accounts of it are correct. Okay. Basically, if he hadn't have, have had the ego that he did and the desire to, to basically have that level of of notoriety and try to make money from it fast – um, he probably could have worked something out, but he made a lot of mistakes in just trying to go off and do it without really talking. So the thing is, is it, is, is it was basically a CC by NC license, with uh, w- not formally, but uh, de facto.
0: If you want to listen to a whole discussion about the legal issues behind the Harry Potter lexicon um, case, um, you can – the IP colloquium recorded a, a whole – um, a whole discussion about you know whether whether such things and whether fan fiction generally should be um, should be part of fair use.
1: Yeah, I mean um, the, the interesting thing is Lexicon specifically not fan fiction, right? That's the whole point right.
0: of it. Right. That it well, was trying to
1: actually be completely accurate to her world. It was mm-hmm. basically trying to be uh, for Star Trek people. And me again, my Star Trek. It was basically trying to be Memory Alpha, which by the way is totally permitted by Star by, by Paramount, <laughs> right? So it was trying to just basically be a cataloging of all the facts in an organized wiki type fashion. Mm-hmm. Um, although the guy didn't know anything about wiki, so he was using like Dreamweaver, which was weird in the age of wikis. But um, <laughs> anyway, um, it, it was trying to be the Memory Alpha of Harry Potter, um, and and it was permitted to be such, just like Memory Alpha is allowed. So anyway, so I, I didn't mean I, I'm sorry to get off topic. No, like no, it's fine. I
0: mean, they're all really interesting topics, and there is a real tension between you know, um, or, or or there is real overlap between what's permitted by fair use and what what free cultural licensing is trying to mm-hmm. accomplish. Right. Um, you know, I mean I would say that um the fair use safe harbor isn't good enough and you know, licensing helps solve problems that um, you know, that where there's a lot of there's a real lack of clarity and um a real, you know, problematic attitude about copyright generally.
1: All right. So I wanna wrap up by saying that the the question that the guy was kind of asking who wrote to us was how do you know like when's commercial, non-commercial? How do you know uh, when it's essay? And, and, and the answer is, I think we won't know until the licenses are more widely adopted and interpreted more. That's my view.
0: I think that's true. And, you know, and, and probably looking at the Creative Commons study would be an interesting thing to do if, you know, for that question because it, it talks about the ambiguity and the, the way that different people interpret um, and different groups of people that they studied interpret the non-commercial license.
1: Yeah, they have to catch up to GPL. <laughs> they've got 20 years well behind. the
0: gpl happily has no non-commercial provision
1: yeah but the, there's the interpretations of of the copyleft have been complicated and it's saying he asked the same question about sa as he did about nc like wow. how do we understand it you know and so we don't know no one knows yet
0: <laughs> well i don't know okay i guess that's your computer saying overrun and i think we have
1: <laughs> well that was from a long time ago. That's some some there's some skip that Dan producer Dan's gonna complain about.
0: Oh sorry so, producer. There's four Dan. of
1: them. So oh well.
0: Thanks for listening. I need to us. a faster
1: computer? If I guess I should ask for donations for a faster computer to record this. No. No, I shouldn't ask no, for that. No, you shouldn't. Yeah. That's, no, thank you for banging. listening to us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't send me donations for a computer. I was kidding. <laughs> Goodbye.
0: Bye. Free as and Freedom is produced by Dan Lynch of HalfbakedMedia.com. Thanks to Mike Tarantino for our theme music. Free as in Freedom is licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike 3.0 unported license. Please provide any feedback to oddcast at faif.us.
1: Um, yeah, Karen's trying to type keys on my computer and, and uh, it's, it's, uh, it's painful because I have so many weird key bindings. What do you actually want to do?
0: I wanted to search the page. Control
1: S. It's, it's...
0: Oh, control S. Yeah, what else I'm would so, be... But that's not the control I'm, key.
1: lock key is the control key.
0: I'm so trained to, uh, you know, to use F instead of F. Oh, F instead of S. Do you know, um, Strindberg and Helium? No, but... F and S, Helium. F and S.
1: Yeah. Well, the people said we shouldn't do all this prep work and now we're sort of showing. Yeah. We didn't, we didn't decide S what we were to search again.
0: We, <laughs> we didn't decide what we were going to, um, this talk is about the part of the show where Karen show.
1: learns Emacs keys.
0: <laughs> well, it's funny. I forget them right after I, I learned them.
1: Yeah. Well, control S is always search. Of course.
0: Well, what about slash?
1: Well, you didn't try to hit slash, I noticed. You tried to hit control F. Well, that's because
0: wh- it's a browser. And you
1: actually hit meta F because my control is a meta. Mm-hmm. Actually, my control is mod 2. The thing that's labeled as control on this keyboard is mod 2. Okay.
0: Right
1: so, time, yeah. People. A fur trapper who was strictly from commercial. Had the unmitigated audacity to jump up from behind my igloo